Welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Sushan. On today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Reverend the Doctor, the, Re, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III about his book, Nancy in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. A senior pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Otis Moss III has spent the last two decades practicing and preaching a black theology that unapologetically calls attention to the problems of mass incarceration, environmental justice, and economic apartheid. Hailed as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world by Baylor University's George W. Truett Theological Seminary, he is an NAACP Image Award recipient, an award-winning filmmaker, poet, and professor of homiletics at Mercer University's McAfee School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. He is married to Monica Brown, and they are the proud parents of two children. That's a little bit about our guest today, and I want to let you know that we get into a really incredible conversation about this book. If you haven't picked up this book yet, you need to do so by the time the intro is over, because I tell you, you are going to want to have this on your bookshelf. Um, But before we get to today's episode, I do want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And by Self Unbound, your quality of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as we help unbind your limited healing potential through network spinal care. Access the first steps to your Unbound journey by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or at www.selfunbound.com. Now, without further ado, my interview with Otis Moss III is right up after this. Welcome back to Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm very excited and feel very blessed to have him on the show today, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. Reverend, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing very well, and I'm excited to talk about your book, Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. There is uh, so much goodness in this book that I think transcends the here and now. It's definitely a book, in my opinion, for now. It is also something I could have used three years ago. It is something I will pick up three years from now and still find that it is as relevant to me in that particular moment as it has been right now, currently, as I've been reading. So I'm excited to, to talk about with you. Before we dig into that, though, for new listeners of the podcast, here at the Detox Podcast, we like to invite people to quote-unquote detox from the world around them and, and gather around and listen to an episode, 45 minutes, an hour, however long it is. And uh, so I like to ask my guests at the top of each episode, uh, Reverend, what are you currently detoxing from? Mm. Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, since we are going through the, the Lenten season, I'm detoxing from scrolling, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, the, the algorithm 
gets you. Oh. And, uh, and so, and my wife says, she says, I'm not scrolling. And I said, you know, that, that is going to be part of our Lenten, uh, commitment along with our, our fast during this time period. Yeah. I, uh, it, it is incredible to me how I have lately, I've been very intentional on uh, becoming aware of how often the thumb flicks up and you're scrolling through, whether it's Instagram or what ha whatever social media platform of choice, um, and you don't even realize how long you've been going. And then all of a sudden, to your point, I find myself down an algorithmic rabbit hole that I did not necessarily intend to find myself down. And I'm like, you know, I think I need to need to stop and pause for a moment because it is, it can be intense for a variety of reasons, right? I, I decided I wanted to start cooking more uh, from scratch almost at the beginning of this year. So I decided I will follow a couple of uh, videos, a couple of uh, mm -hmm. recipe videos. It's a disaster because all of a sudden now I'm watching this guy create this deep fried <laughs> like fish sandwich thing and then I wa and I, I can't look away and he's just like he's like deep frying it and adding more and deep frying it and adding more and then he like cuts it and have it all of a sudden cheese is coming out I don't understand what happens and then this little man takes this huge sandwich and just like eats it in three bites and obviously they edited it right but still I'm just like this what I don't understand. And then the, the algorithm is is wow. brutal. It, yes. it is absolutely brutal. I'm, I was, you know, my, my algorithm was filled with several things and it was filled with. So we've got all these like workout videos, sure. number one, uh, on mobility and working out, da, 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 da. And then I have, I'm a real basketball head. Yeah. I'm a real basketball head. So I've got all these basketball videos, but now the future high school, all, you know, everybody's the future, right? New, everybody's the new LeBron. <laughs> yes. and it's just, oh, I've got to watch this guy. It's like, and then there's, I was like, the algorithm has me now. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to find the next LeBron James every, every, every time I look in here. And so I was like, I got to stop this. I just, I just got to stop this. So, so that is my, I, I feel for you. I completely understand. And those videos know exactly, you know, it's just 10 seconds of gold right there. Just That's right. Boom. That's right. And then you it's know, just, it'll play it again, slowly play it again with music. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this guy the is the next one. videos. Oh. So what's hilarious with the, the, with high school superstars is you always have to have the kids on the side going, oh, yeah. you know, all this noise. <laughs> it was the greatest dunk ever. You know, and, the, and, and they catch you the next one you go to. It's like, it's the greatest dunk <laughs> ever. It's the greatest pass ever. It's the greatest crossover ever. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm just going to be stuck in this thing now. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think it's all, it, you know, this time of year when we, we have entered into Lent for those that are celebrating or acknowledging, I should say, and recognizing uh, this period of time before before Easter, it is a good opportunity to reflect on perhaps what we might want to detox or take a step back from or, or put on pause for this particular period of time. Um, so it's good. I, uh, I, I, in an attempt to sort of, uh, separate myself a bit from the scroll. What I did is um, I grew up playing backgammon. That was a game that I enjoyed. It's complex enough. Yes. yes. Complex yes. enough and simple enough. And so I yes. found a offline uh, game that I've got on my phone and you can set it up to like first to 15 points at the computer. So I play mm -hmm. that and that like if I'm feeling like scrolling, I play that. And then mm -hmm. it usually like satisfies whatever I needed to do on my phone to keep my hands busy. And that's mm -hmm. just a few minutes, and I find that I've 
been scrolling a lot less according to the data my phone gives me every uh -huh. week. Um, so that's that's my tip, I would say. Find something that's offline that you can kind of put your phone yeah. off for a moment and then see if you still need to scroll or if it was just a habit. Music helps me. Oh, so when, Yeah, so music and when I'm working out, uh, music, of course. But when I'm writing, you know, finding some really good music. So I have just a recommendation for anyone. I found this classical South African artist, this gentleman, I think he is uh, Kosa, um, Abel Seleko, and he plays the cello oh. and he's killer, but he brings in traditional South African music to the playing of the cello. That's awesome. These hums and I mean, it's, it's, I've never heard anything. It's, it's, it's sublime. And I just stumbled on him. So it's, he's like part of my heavy rotation. So sure. when I'm, I'm, I'm writing, when I'm working on a sermon, I'm, I'm listening to this, this brother who is this cello player who just brings in this beautiful traditional South African sound to the, I've never heard anything like that. That's incredible. I love that. Um, and I think that's helpful to start to uh, have something that keeps us occupied and keeps us busy so we can not sink into sort of the, the, the scroll. I almost said the death scroll, but, but yes, I mean, in, in a it sense, a it scroll. feels like it. Yeah. It's a death star. It's a death right. scroll. It's all of the above. It's, yes. just, it's just death. Exactly. Um, I want to pivot a bit and and talk about uh, your book, Dancing in the Darkness, Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. Now, this just came out at the beginning of the year uh, in January. And so uh, for folks, I'm going to say this a couple of times in the episode for sure, but definitely uh, you need to pick this book up. In fact, I recommend pausing the podcast, going and ordering it, and then coming back and listening to it as you're anticipating it to arrive in your mailbox. Um, there's a couple different places I want to dig into in the episode, but I, or in the book in this episode. But I think what I want to start with uh, first and foremost is there's a there's an introduction um, a forward by Michael Eric Dyson. And there's one particular moment where he references that this book is the black coffee spirituality. And he defines that as the coffee beans within the water. Uh, he gave, he gives a story about three different things, carrots, eggs, and coffee beans in a pot of water being boiled and how the carrots were hard and they get soft. The eggs were soft and they get hard and the coffee beans stayed the same consistency, but yet they've changed the water around them. And so it's this idea of influencing the environment mm -hmm. in which you're in and changing, uh, the, the, the dynamic of it. And I love that idea of, um, this book, uh, being the black coffee spirituality for our community, for ourselves, and for those around us. So I want to use that sort of as an anchor point and ask you, what was sort of some of the genesis for you to write this book um, mm -hmm. and put it out into the world in 2023? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that, 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 that question. Um, so there, there were several things. One, there has been a deep yearning to be able to communicate about black spirituality. Uh, which is speaking about not just the black church, which is not the white church and black face, black face, but is a spiritual tradition uh, that brings together so many unique elements 
uh, not just for people of African descent, but for anyone who comes in contact like the uh, like the coffee bean. It has it has it's a beautiful tradition that has been around, you know, for really thousands of years, and uh, was brought to America in a unique way, and is part of the Christian tradition, and has been infused into the 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 Western Christian tradition by uh, uh, by by people of African descent. Um, in a more recent aspect, but has always been a part of, 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 of the Christian tradition and the Judaic tradition and the Muslim tradition and so on and so on. Um, but there was a spiritual uh, yearning uh, and I witnessed a spiritual itch among people who were seeking to find something satisfying. And they would fill it, as we talked about, by scrolling. They right. try to fill it with clout chasing. They try to fill it with some type of materialism and find out that they're empty again. And uh, the, the book really focuses on this, this idea of the values that are necessary for human flourishing, that being love and justice. That you can chase the materialism all you want, but ultimately... Uh, what is material is temporal. There are the, there are certain values. There are certain practices. There is a a spiritual way of knowing and moving through the world that can allow you to flourish. The Stoics would call this the good life. Um, in the uh, African tradition, it would be called Ubuntu. Um, and uh, in 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 the Buddhist tradition, they would say following the path. You know, within within the Christian tradition, is it's our embracing of of, of Christ. Um, and, and, and so that's what this book attempts to do is to bring these values to the table and uh, for us to take hold of something that is very ancient. You have a quote right in the beginning in the intro that I've been thinking about for the last two, three weeks, whenever I first read it. And I w I'd like to read this part. You talk about, um, you say, let me be clear, I've written this book to bring news that will afflict all who are comfortable. The bad news, it is midnight. But I have also written this book to bring news that will comfort the afflicted. The good news, it is midnight. You need to understand that when that clock moves from 11.59 p.m. to 12 a.m., the new day has come, a new morning is beginning, and in that new morning, we shall rise anew. How hard is it as a pastor to communicate to your congregation and to folks that we are at the beginning at any given moment, even while we are sort of at that midnight point, because it, it, it can be so hard to, to kind of see what's next when we're sort of stuck in that moment. So how, how do you communicate that it's midnight and it's midnight message to your congregation. I think that's the beauty of this particular tradition. Um, as you were you were reading, uh, that actual section is a combination of a portion of a sermon and also a portion of what what I've written. Um, and within the the tradition that I come from, this Black Church tradition, is the re recognition that there is a duality that we function in. That we see the midnight of the tragic, the midnight of, of the pain, the midnight of the sorrow and the blues. 
But in the same instance of seeing what is tragic, we never step into despair nor wade into the abyss and give ourselves to cynicism. And that's a tightrope. And it's very difficult to do in, in this moment where so many people want to deeply embrace cynicism and say that there is no possibility of hope. Or there is another group that wants to ignore completely and say that, no, everything is really okay. He said, if you all would just listen to us and just know that, you know, America is a perfect place right. uh, with, with, a, with a few little warts here and there. Um, it's, it's a tightrope to be able to walk, but ultimately we're talking about the idea of transformation. Transformation is not change. Transformation is becoming something new, something that we've never become before. We are becoming. And, and that's what you what, what we're called to communicate in a responsible way in, in the faith community, that we are called to something new. We are becoming, we're not yet. We're not saying let's make America great again. We're saying let's make America. Let, let's make what has never been. W.E.B. Du Bois calls it the yet to be United States of, of America. And that's kind of in this eschatological idea that, that, that flows, but it's also this artistic and imaginative idea that we have this, well, let me put it this way. Howard Thurman says it the best way. And it's so beautiful. As a student at Morehouse College, every student just about had to know this quote. He says, God places a crown above our heads. We will spend the rest of our lives growing tall enough to wear. Mm. And tomorrow I will not wear it, but I hope that I'm taller. Mm. That That's... That was the tradition. That's what we were told, that you are to spend your life growing and that you have a, a calling, a destiny, whatever it may be, not necessarily spiritual. You could be business. You could be a software engineer. But every, every, you were told in the school, here we are, this, 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 this black male college, this is the only one in the country, only one in the con in, in, on the planet, I think, yeah. uh, you know, where our, our alumnus, our, our people like... Uh, Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King, Spike Lee, Samuel Jackson, uh, Edwin Moses, and now Raphael Warnock, who was yep. a classmate. And we were told over and over again, grow, but you're never going to wear the crown. But stretch, stretch. And, and that is the message that I believe that, that we're called to share civically and personally. You just gave me goosebumps uh, and chills because it is so powerful. And, you know, I wrote, I, I, I wrote sort of a more of a comment as I was reading this and that this, this book feels, and I know you've mentioned this in a couple different ways within this book, but it really feels like there is a, a fight going on for America's spirit, America's soul. And it is this, this struggle between it almost feels like there's three <laughs> you mentioned the number three as it relates to a house right the height the the mm. width and the depth and if the inches are off even just one then it, it doesn't function it needs to be um it needs to be perfectly balanced in order to achieve 
um, uh, in order to be a home and to thrive and to be a place where folks can grow. Um, so I, I <laughs> am very particular about my, my Christian background background and the, the importance of numbers, but I will use three numbers here in that it feels like there's a fight between, you mentioned, folks that want to uh, wail in anguish that we're, we're not getting what we need and we're upset about that, understandably, and then folks over here that feel um, everything is fine except for a few warts. And then there's the opportunity for those in the middle to to lead with, uh, you have it here, um, love and justice, the mm -hmm. combination of the two, which can allow us to have a way forward. And I think so often when we're talking to people, where I personally have seen the most impact with talking with people is in those sort of quiet moments. I call them quiet conversations where folks believed one way and maybe they're starting to, they've read this book or they've read a similar book and they're starting to think maybe there's a better way for me to approach this. Maybe I've been a bit flawed in my thinking and I'm nervous about sort of coming forward and talking through. So how do you as as you're uh, bringing folks along on this journey, how do you create an environment where those that are so, sort of getting started on their journey, um, where they can kind of ask these questions and get brought up to speed um, to continue and make progress for America's soul, America's spirit in this case? That's a, that's a great uh, way in which you framed it. There is a real proclivity for... Uh, people in the American context to uh, to try and valorize it and and create these myths about uh, who we are and and uh, and what we are and what and that's really the struggle is it is a struggle to in reference to the spiritual nature of this nation and 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 what we shall be you know one group is like no we're going to be who we are now and that's that's really problematic for a lot of <laughs> that's for a lot of people. And then there is this other struggle uh, of, of becoming. And then there is the, the tragedy of cynicism uh, that says, you know, we're, we're hurt, but there's just nothing we can do. Uh, and, and so the call, and I think that, that the, the best way to put it, is the blues teaches us how we are to deal with this moment. The blues helps you deal with the ache of the moment. But at the same time, it is not just caught into an existential crisis. It still has an eschatological hope connected to it. So let me again borrow from, from my tradition again. So blues and gospel are essentially the exact same thing. They are the exact same chords. And people are like, no, there's two different types of music. <laughs> well, yes. Lyrics are different, but the blues chords, the piano you hear in blues music is the piano of gospel music. Right. You only change the chords. The same musician who played in the juke joint on Saturday is the same <laughs> musician who plays on Sunday morning. The exact same guy. The exact same woman singing Saturday night is the same woman singing on Sunday morning. So this blues tradition says that we cannot forget and, and out of the black church tradition, which is a very Jesus centric tradition, meaning that, you know, the, the, the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the embodiment 
of Jesus is so important. Calvary was the blues moment. And then resurrection becomes the gospel moment. Same chords, just different lyrics. And the challenge for us civically is you have one group that only wants to celebrate the glory of a resurrection and another group that can only deal with the, the bloody pain of the blues. Mm. What this spirituality says is that both of these are necessary in order to create new music. So I have to face the blues. There is no possibility for us to have any conversation about any resurrection or any good news until we deal with the blues, until we deal with this Calvary moment. And the resurrection comes out of the depth of the pain versus sitting out there by itself on some type of shelf that has been neatly cleaned and sanitized in such a way that we ignore the depth and the horror and the absurdity of, of our history. But when those two things are merged together, then transformation is possible. Something new comes about. You have, uh, right at the beginning of the book, you talk about a passage that Howard Thurman had in his memoir specifically about how he was trying to get on a train to go to high school and pursue his increase his education which at the time was unheard of um, especially for a, a, a black child in in his particular uh, location where he was living which was in the south if I'm remember Florida Florida state of Florida Daytona yeah. Beach Florida Daytona Beach yes and he was turned he was told that his trunk, because of, you know, a meticulous rule, uh, his trunk wasn't allowed to go except by a specific expedited class of shipping because of something to do with the luggage tag and he didn't have enough money. So he was faced with a dilemma of what should he do? He's crying his eyes out and an older gentleman, an older black gentleman sees him, asks him why he's crying, figures out the situation, pays his wage, and specifically has the quote, if you're trying to get out of this damn town to get an education, the least I can do is help you come with me. And you, you write about how that's a perfect example of the combination of love and justice. Because you go on to talk about if there was only um, sympathy, like, I know this sucks, this is awful, let me buy you a meal, let's go away. It doesn't fix the inherent issue in the moment. It provides some camaraderie, but, but the emptiness remains because you, they're still in the same situation. Or if this older gentleman had been so upset, he went and made this, this ticket taker or whomever feel as slighted or upset. That's a different, that's justice, right? That's the hardness of the egg, but it is not uh, providing that, that love, um, which is what the, this, the child needed in that moment. It's the combination of, I see you, I hear you, I've been here. Now let me, let's help you get to where you need to go, creates that new path forward where he was able to then go to school, get the education, become the man he is. Whereas without that, he wouldn't have been able to make something new and forge ahead. And that's just powerful because I do think so often, and again, the number three, right? Three different opportunities, three different examples, right? We're using number three a lot tonight. And I think it can be so difficult for us as humans, I'm pointing the finger at myself, to see a way forward that is not option one or two. Mm. It is so easy to get stuck as a carrot or an egg without being a coffee bean 
and being mm-hmm. able to uh, provide the love and the justice. So how do you um, sort of you intentionally, I would guess, put that there at the beginning of the book to level set for the reader. And I want to know what what has that passage meant to you that you've been able to then impart on others? You know, it's one of my favorite stories in general, uh, because I grew up hearing Howard Thurman tapes. Sure, My father would play them as we would uh, make our way to vacation, usually in August. My father was a pastor, so August was the time when we would go right. to the uh, Baptist convention, and then after the convention, we would go on vacation. Right. And, you know, we didn't necessarily listen to to music. We listened to Howard Thurman as we're driving, <laughs> because that's one of my father's, father's favorite preachers. And the power of the story, for those who are not familiar, you're talking about Howard Thurman born in 1899 right. uh, in Daytona Beach. And there were only three black high schools in the entire state. And in order to go to one of those high schools, you had to take a special test to 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 gain entry. And none of, none of those high schools were in Daytona Beach. And the principal of Howard Thurman School agreed to administer the test because there was also the superintendent didn't believe that anyone in the entire district who was black could even pass the test to go to a segregated school that was miles away that you would have to uh, probably stay in with someone in order to even go to to high school and come home on the, on the weekend. And there was a private school you know, he did well in the test and uh, uh, he was going to go to school and they, his parents took all their money that they had. His family took all the money that they had in order to send Howard Thurman. And he gets there and the ticket agent wants to it's assert his power to keep this young black boy from extending his education. And he did not know what to do. Uh, and he bumps into this this man, as you, you mentioned, he doesn't know his name. And the man rekindles his dreams. And in many ways, it's such sacred serendipity. Yeah. As Howard Thurman goes to this high school, as a result of going to the high school, he graduates, then he goes to Morehouse College. While he's at Morehouse College, he receives uh, an opportunity after graduating of then going to uh, have a dialogue with Mohandas K. Gandhi. (laughs) He has this dialogue with Gandhi and along with several other Hindus, and he ends up writing a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. The book Jesus and the Disinherited lands in the lap of Martin Luther King Jr. As a student, he reads this book and talks about uh, what uh, does the gospel, what uh, does religion, what does faith say to those who have their backs against the wall? And he creates what we call black theology or this um, liberation framed social gospel out of the black spiritual tradition because of his connection with with Howard Thurman. So the man at the railroad station literally put in motion serendipitously uh, one of the leaders of the freedom and civil rights movement. Yes. So if he had not shown up there, 
Howard Thurman would never have gone to high school. If he never went to high school, he'd never gone to Morehouse. If he never went to Morehouse, he would have never had the dialogue with Mohandas K. Gandhi. If he never had the conversation with Gandhi, he would never have this idea about nonviolence. If he never had this idea of nonviolence, he would never write Jesus and Disinherited. He would never fall in the lap of Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr. would not reform his theological framework to what we now understand to be the civil rights movement. So this one man, who we don't know his name, who was standing there in overalls, changed American history. Right. It, it, and it just, it kind of blows my mind when I kind of think about the, the, the serendipitous way. And so he chooses love and justice. I recognize your humanity, number one. That's the loving aspect. Uh, I could have chosen just retribution and I could have cussed out or slapped the ticket agent <laughs> and I, I would have gone to jail or been lynched and you, you would have too and there would be no transformation. But I, I merge both of them together. How can I attack the system right now? One of the things that I can do to attack the system is to ensure that this 14-year-old boy gets an education that no one in Daytona Beach wants him to have. Right. I will resist this idea of cynicism and I will seek restoration for this young man. And the beautiful thing about this, if you get Howard Thurman's autobiography, his autobiography is dedicated to the man at the railroad station. I mean, it's it's like this man, and he's, he mentions it, the uh, the man at the railroad station when he would give speeches and, and sermons. He said, I, I don't know, never met him again, never saw him again. He said, this, this, I believe that he was an angel. Hmm. He put me on the path that I am today yeah. because he simply merged two fundamental eternal values. He saw my humanity and he chose to resist the system that was attempting to keep me from flourishing at the level that God had called me to do. Yeah. And, and, and it, it changed American history as a result. It is so powerful when you think about it. I think I often will do little exercises in my own mind where I'll, I'll go, how did I get here? And I'll work backwards, right? But it is, I would say, it pales in comparison, right, to the magnitude of this moment. And yet the same principle applies wherein you can think about one way of reacting or another way. However, taking the moment to think about why is there conflict or what's the what's the root cause of the hurt or the pain or the frustration from another individual or group of individuals where is that coming from and how can we combat that in a combination of love and justice without ignoring or perhaps giving um, uh, give, giving them what they want is not quite what I'm trying to say, but sort of like affirming the negative stereotypes or beliefs that they have in their own mind about how uh, a group of people act. You have a passage in here about protests by the Westboro Baptist Church um, coming to your church in 2008 and specifically folks coming, right, and, and trying to disrupt a place of worship on a day of worship when 
the congregation, the, it, the individuals who attend this church are doing nothing more than trying to come and have community and, and worship, and it's being disrupted. It's being actively disrupted. And you have a, a, a message where you are trying to learn or trying to decide how to combat this. Walking back a bit, you have a passage um, where Dancing in the Darkness comes from, where you hear this noise and, uh, in your house, and it's your daughter, your six-year-old daughter, which I identified with, having an eight-year-old myself, um, literally dancing in the darkness um, and helping you to see the light in the moment, even though it was pitch dark outside and there's nothing going on. And you use that as an opportunity to see through the perceived threats and then you thread the needle for the real threats in the moment and thinking through the lessons learned on how can we find the light in the moment or be the light or provide the light. And you have this beautiful passage where you have the choir come and surround individuals and sing. And that is a way to combat the threat and not give into a situation that would have provided fodder for the protesters, the news, the media, whomever. And in some and it and it and it quieted. It quieted the the ruckus in that instance. So I want to I want to talk about how you were able to sort of or how you were able to take the lessons of the the love and justice, right? And and learn from your daughter and then provide to the congregation in the moment? What were both of those like for you separately and then together? Um, you know, being open to the lessons of a child and being open to the sound of the spirit is important. When we are quiet enough we can hear the spirit. And when we have not lost our playful and whimsical nature, we can learn from children. Because the children are absolutely brilliant. Uh, as adults, we lose our imagination. The greatest toy I ever got my kids was a refrigerator box. The box refrigerator came in. It really was. I, I thought I've been trying to buy him great stuff, you know, right. as a dad. Hey, look at this. Let's play with this. Is that any other? It was the box the refrigerator came in when we moved. And they, they got in the box and it was a car. And then I left the room and came back. It was a rocket ship. And I, and everything. I said, oh, you are on the rocket ship. I'm like, no, dad, we're in a boat now. Can't you tell? You know, <laughs> it, it, it was always something that's just in there. And they, they played with that thing until it literally fell apart. I mean, they couldn't play with it anymore. Then they tried, they tried to make it into something else. Then they tried to create art with it. It was the greatest toy ever uh, because their imagination was open. Mm -hmm. And that is the area in which we, when I, I believe when we're created in the image of God, we're creating the likeness of God. It is not the physical anthropomorphic aspect it is that we have been given a gift of imagination mm -hmm. that when god created the world that god was was imagining divinely to create something that was not and functioned in such a way and we as human beings we can imagine 
that which doesn't exist. That's why transformation, that's why this idea of justice, this idea of, of this idea of renewal uh, is so very, very important because it is, it rests in the realm of the imagination. And in that moment when Westboro, uh, I hate to say church because sure. there's nothing that functions. So, sure. I mean, they showed up on the south side of Chicago, specifically saying these horrific racialized statements about the then Senator Obama, who becomes President Obama, and about the uh, uh, congregation and people who were coming to church. They wanted a physical confrontation at that moment so that they could record it, number one. Right. And they also were relying upon the lie of the racialized imagination. If I record someone of color, their color will be weaponized against them and I will win uh, the particular uh, uh, lawsuit that I have against the, the whole church. Mm -hmm. And so when we found out that they were there, you know, I, it, just really this when you're quiet enough to hear the spirit the spirit truly spoke as the choir is literally marching into church and i stopped the choir and said hey y'all look 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 here i i'm about to tell you all something <laughs> said i know it's going to sound crazy but i really believe that we have protesters out here and i think the spirit of god is calling us and they want to goad people into a fight they are saying things out there that are horrific they have bullhorns I want us to go out there and sing to the glory of God and drown out the sounds of uh, this antebellum Confederate type of vocabulary with the possibilities that come out of our transformation. And it was an amazing thing because the choir was in there like their Sunday robes right. and they <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they come out there. I mean, they're, they're rolling out there like, like partly like, uh, you know, angels. And at the same time, they, they got this swag, like we're about to take y'all out. <laughs> really have this swag. Like yeah. they were hyped. They're like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We got this. Um, and these are like from your young adults to seniors like, Oh, Oh, we, we're going in on this with no, nobody messes with our church. And so they surround and it's not the protesters and create this wall. And they begin to sing this little light of mine so loud that the bullhorn can't be heard. And one person, it was really hilarious. There's this big guy, he's got this, his, his bullhorn. And there are these several seniors around him just clapping and singing. And he's about six, three, six, four. And the seniors are not quite touching him, but they are so close and their heads are looking upward uh, in such a way. And they're just like, this little light of mine. And they're just going in and the man <laughs> falls off the tree lawn into the street. <laughs> and I said, the power of their song. Yeah. And you, I mean, you could literally see that. I mean, it was like this image. You could see the lyrics and the chords and the sound that they were creating kept capturing what was coming out of the bullhorn yeah. and said, you will not, you know, invade the ears of a child walking into this space. Yes. It was a powerful thing to witness yeah. um, of taking again, this idea of love and justice together 
and saying, yeah, well, we, we recognize your humanity, but you're not going to disrespect us. Right. In other words, you, you're going to be held accountable for your horrific human activity, um, but you are not going to desecrate this particular space. And we're going to use the creativity of this direct nonviolent action to protect our space. And when the choir came into church after doing that, I mean, they were out, we were outside for a little while until they eventually got into their vans. I mean, they got in the vans like they were drunk. I mean, they, they were just so taken aback yeah. because they'd never been greeted like that. They're usually greeted with another group of protesters who start yelling stuff back, you know, yet back yes. at, they had never been surrounded, you know, by a bunch of black folk to say, oh yeah, we're going to sing. And they were singing this little light of mine. They're not, not, not this little light of yours. Right. This, this, <laughs> exactly <laughs> and they come into they come into service and never experienced anything like it before that the entire church just exploded i mean it, it exploded with just a, a a sense of purpose and joy and at the same time there was this swagger of we held and kept and blessed um our community in, in a beautiful and magnificent way. And it was, we got a glimpse of, of the spirit moving in a, in a magnificent, magnificent way. And then I absolutely love that. I, that was one of the most powerful portions in the book and we're running, we're run, we're nearing on our time. So I want to be mindful of one of the last questions I'll, I'll, ask i'll say i'll say this as sort of a a note and then i'll follow up with a question you've got a, a good passage on here i think this is a good example of as we're learning and growing on how to make a more inclusive world and we're learning lessons and we're listening to our neighbors tell us about their experience so we can learn um, and grow ourselves you have a good passage in here where you're talking about specifically uh, love with justice feedback as it relates to, to bias. So you have a, a portion where you're putting together imagery of black athletes who've stood for something for a particular sermon. And you noticed after the sermon was over um, when you were doing sort of a, a recap with, with, with a review of it, um, that the only athletes you had chosen were, were men. They were only men athletes in there and no women athletes. And so that was a situation where you recognized everybody that was contributing for that particular week were male. All of the, the women ha were not there for one reason or another. And you made it right. You apologized. Uh, you pull, put up uh, women athletes who stood for something the next week. And, and you, you detail that aspect. I think that, but, but the way in which you were called out, that was what was really careful. Again, number of three, right? There's three ways in which I've experienced in my sort of day-to-day -day work where feedback is given in these types of situations. One, it's given very um, abruptly, and it, it, it often, I feel, it comes from a place of very frustration, very frustrated hurt. And while that's understandable and, and not to be dismissed, I think the receiver of the feedback, unless they're trained, um, can, be, can get very defensive and the message can get lost. Or the feedback's not given at all, and this person has just talked about sort of behind their back about how they're not inclusive, they're not thinking of all of these different things, they've got all these biases. And then a third way, right, is the love with justice kind of way, and a bit of humor where it's like, hey, 
you know that there are women athletes that sit for something too, right? Like, we love you, and we're going to call you out. Like, you know that, right? And then it's like, yes, okay, you're right. I hear you. That was on me. We're going to fix it. We're going to move forward. It's that, it's that respect and also the offer for growth that I see too often can be missing in the, the plans for how we are bringing people along in this journey. So I think my last question with that is going to be, how do you continue to both learn, grow yourself as an individual and then show others how to be receptive to growth at all times? Mm, that's, that's a great question. Yeah, that's from the chapter on liberation listening, right. uh, because every chapter is a principle of 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 these particular lessons of how you have to develop and grow. You know, dealing how do you consecrate chaos, uh, dealing with grief, prophetic grief, and uh, how do you redirect rage and all of these things. And and so the one on listening, uh, specifically around uh, the time that our worship and arts team, all of the the women were either out of town doing something different, and it was just guys. Yeah. there that day and we ended up picking you know people that you know we loved right and we realized oh my gosh we picked all guys yeah. uh, but it was because of trust and the development of relationship mm. because as i mentioned in the book there was a minister who was on our team uh minister janae colvin who is now uh, the chaplain at, at at depaul university in in chicago uh, who started on our team, started as an intern and then be, and then was uh, then hired on our team and all of that. Um, because of the relationship that that we had developed and the relationship she developed with the team and she developed with with myself, uh, she could say very clearly, um, I opened the bulletin and I didn't see any women. I saw I just saw all men. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, we've got we've to we've change this. We didn't have Althea Gibson in there. We didn't have the WNBA in there. And we didn't have the GOAT. We didn't have Serena. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, how are you not going to have the GOAT? Right. You know, <laughs> you know so um, because of the relationship. And relationships are difficult. And we are often not taught how to be in relationship with people. We're taught how to be comfortable with people who are just like us, not realizing that there's so many ways. And, and one of the things that, you know, I love, uh, one of the things I love about uh, Minister Janae uh, Colvin uh, is that she is, she's a chef and she, she studies the culinary arts and, and she will express that one of the ways of creating community is sharing a meal, but not just, hey, we're going to sit down and go to dinner, which people do all the time, but that doesn't build the, the camaraderie, is sharing a meal from your tradition. Mm. What did your grandmother make and why? Let, let, well, let me share with you what my auntie used to cook all the time and uh, why it's special to me. And all of a sudden in these meals, you learn story and you begin to develop trust in those meals and in the meal you have history and heritage you have story and of resilience uh you have sometimes tragedy but also triumph in those meals and the history of 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 a people is wrapped up in 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 their food and in their food ways and and that's why it's important for us to not just eat someone's food 
uh, but also sit down in the kitchen and allow people to share the story of that food. And in the process, we develop trust and we communicate di differently and we see each other in a radically different way. And that, that is why Jesus fed 5,000 <laughs> with some bread and some fish. Right. And that he took a little boy's lunch, his mama's lunch that he had prepared. And in the process, all of those people developed a deeper relationship and bond with each other because they shared a meal that had a story connected to it. And they would tell their children, I was there the day that Jesus fed, he really fed about eight, 9,000 because they didn't count the women. Right. Um, but uh, I was there when that little boy gave his lunch and all the male disciples said, I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> and it becomes a powerful uh, story for us to, to look at how we can create community. That's right. That is a wonderful note to end it on. I want to, before we wrap up really quickly, um, I want to so as a reminder, I said this at the beginning, if you haven't purchased Dancing in the Dark Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times by now, I'm not really sure what you're doing with your life. I hope you were driving and you can't access your phone and that's why you haven't purchased it. Just, it's all right. When you get to where you're going, pull up your phone, order the book, order a couple copies for your friends, neighbors, perhaps the neighbor that's over on the other side that you need a reason to go talk to them. There you go. Bring this book. So, um, that, bring the book and some gumbo. You yes. Know, so do, do both. Book Absolutely. and gumbo. Absolutely. Wonderful combination. I'm a huge cornbread fan as well. So, you know, if you got the a skillet corn, of cornbread, yes. throw it in there. I made some honey cornbread the other night. It was delicious. Corn yes. Well, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I am from Texas. So we, we love <laughs> some chili. We love some cornbread. Um, Here we go. Uh, as we're wrapping up, I want to say we're going to shift to a segment I call Things to Check Out. It is a uh, segment where I provide a couple of recommendations, either something I'm watching, reading, or listening to, and I invite my guests to do the same. Um, so I will go ahead and go first. So a couple, a couple recommendations. I'm going to say um, from a book perspective, um, if we're looking for um, representation. Uh, I know Black History Month just ended uh, by the time you're listening to this and this came out. Good friend of the podcast, good personal friend, uh, the Reverend Sean Amos, blues musician, uh, son of uh, Wally Famous Amos, wrote a book, Cookies and Milk, which won the NAACP Award for Young Fiction, I believe is the category it won. Um, so definitely go check that out. It is a uh, He did an episode of the podcast. If you want to go listen to him uh, detail that, you can go do that. Um, but he does a fictionalized retelling of his childhood, and he mentions on the podcast it was important for him and his family to write that story and reclaim the famous Amos mantle and story um, back into their family, whereas it has been sort of claimed um, by major corporations. This was an opportunity to reclaim that story. And then I will say, um, I uh, uh, always, I've plugged this before, but I'm going to plug the podcast, Learning How to See with Brian McLaren, good friend of the podcast, definitely worth your time. It, it touches on several of the themes we've talked about today. And then I, um, you know, I am actually, uh, selfishly, I'm watching the the final season of The Walking Dead. I'm really enjoying it. I think I'm watching it and enjoying it because I know this is the the end of the series. So it, it it's hitting a little bit nicer. Um, but then also on our theme about building community and how, um, 
there's an opportunity to um, do more um, within within a particular community. The, I was reminded of the movie the other day, The Great Debaters, featuring uh, starring Denzel Washington. Um, and it is about, I am blanking, it's a historically black college within Texas. My friend Royce is going to be mad at me that I can't remember the name of it at the moment. Um, Wiley College. Thank you, Wiley College. <laughs> It's about this group of debaters from Wiley College who go and debate. Uh, I think um, in the movie it's an Ivy League school, and I don't remember in real life it was a it was a different school. Still, it was a phenomenal achievement, and I bring that up because of the fact that there is an opportunity that is displayed multiple times in the movie um, of this love plus justice, which allows these individuals to thrive and grow in ever new environments. So those are my recommendations, uh, Reverend. What are what are some recommendations that you have? Uh, well, musically, uh, I would suggest a person that I'm, I'm listening to by the name of Julius Rodriguez. Uh, Julius Rodriguez is a jazz musician, plays the piano, uh, but he also plays with a lot of of, of, of hip hop artists, uh, but he's a jazz musician. And he has this piece where he does some unique renditions, where he does a Stevie Wonder cover of All I Do. Uh, which is fantastic. And then he has this piece called Where Grace Abounds. That's so simple, so beautiful. And another one um, entitled Elog Elegy for Cam. And then uh, the classic In Heaven. He, he just does a beautiful job. Young musician that more people should know about that's really trying to bridge uh, several different traditions uh, of jazz, classical, and, and hip-hop, and R&B. And for those who, let's say, you don't like jazz, I think you'll enjoy some of this stuff. For the, I don't like hip-hop, I think you will enjoy this. <laughs> uh, for those who are like, I don't like any of this, I think you will enjoy <laughs> Julius Rodriguez. Uh, he does a wonderful job. In terms of, for those who are who are like comic book heads, uh, there is a, a series entitled Bitter Root. Ooh. Bitterroot uh, takes the the premise is of family during the Harlem Renaissance uh, that has been empowered and it's their family tradition ever since the antebellum South to rid the world of demons, but demons only come into the world uh, through hate, and specifically they will take root in a person's body who, who functions out of any type of racism. And so they're trying to rid uh, the world of these demonic acts by ridding these spirits from, from people. And there is a unique moment in the comic book where these families in Harlem, you have the African-American family, you have the Irish and the Italian and the Asian and the Latino, and there are all these different families and all of them call the demons by different names, but they recognize that something's happening in America where the... This, the spirit of hate is pushing forth these, these spirits that are destructive. And each community will eventually have to combat um, and come together and figure out how do we rid this country of this spirit? And it was, it's a really fascinating idea. Yeah. And if I understand it, it's already been picked up for a, uh, for a film and whatnot. Um, for those who like noir and, um, crime novels i, I kind of like crime novels i'm a big walter mosley fan i like you know walter mosley raymond chandler all of that kind of stuff um there is a gentleman by the name of s.a cosby who writes 
about rural Virginia, uh, primarily from an African-American community. He has three books out thus far. The first one was called Blacktop Wasteland, about a gentleman who uh, had come out of the mass incarceration system. He is attempting to really redeem himself, restore himself. He has a wonderful family. He is a mechanic. He's doing extremely well. But years ago, he used to be a getaway driver because he was one very good and he was a uh, amateur drag racer. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he gets something happens where he's pulled into a situation that he did not want to be pulled into. But in order to save his family, he's pulled back into the life. It's really fascinating. But his second book raises such beautiful spiritual questions entitled Razor Blade Tears. Mm. And Razor Blade Tears is about two fathers, one white, one black. Both of them have had uh, uh, encounters with the criminal justice system. And they find that both of their sons have been, been murdered. Come to find out that they did not know, their sons, uh, their sons were were married to each other. They were they were they were gay, and they were both cruel fathers who had run their sons out of their life. Wow. And the only way that they can find redemption now is to find their killer. Wow! And in the process, these two men who would never have anything to do with each other, who could could never be in the same space with each other suddenly are brought together, not only then by grief, but then by grace. And it is a heck of a ride. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a rough story, but man, you're talking about grace, redemption, this idea of, you know, how do I say, how, how do I ask for forgiveness? And my son is now dead. Mm. And they end up finding a heart for people who uh, have been marginalized, not only who are black, but who are who are gay, who uh, who just just operate in different frames in this rural community, yeah. and it has this spiritual center that is just extraordinary for such a rough book. So, S. A. Cosby, uh, Blacktop Wasteland, and Razorblade Tears. Incredible, incredible. Well. Reverend, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, you can follow me on on Twitter at OM3, at Instagram at Otis Moss uh, 3, uh, III, uh, or on, on Facebook, or just, just show up to Trinity United Church of Christ uh, on the web. Or if you're ever on the south side of Chicago, just show up at Trinity. We would love to have you. There's no other church this side of the Jordan. Uh, like Trinity United Church of Christ, you will get... Uh, a welcome and you'll be able to experience what it's like to to be unashamed and unapologetic about who you are uh, as we serve uh, the God we serve. I look forward to visiting whenever I get to Chicago. I still, I've never been to Chicago, so I've got two things I need to do. You must remedy that. I that, do. That must be remedied. In, in, I mean, Chicago is one of the great cities in the, in, 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 in the country. Uh, and you, you have to come and visit us at some point. Absolutely. We'll do. Well, Reverend, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. This has been absolutely incredible. Oh, it has been my delight. Thank you so much, Joe. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. 
That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.